the other word that comes to me is remembering, just remembering that we are ever expanding, that we are ever growing and to stay, stay curious about, about that in the ritual and in the process. That's what it's all, that's what ritual is for. Hey everyone, this is Eleanor and Jesse and Saturn. <laughs> I'm so pumped right now. Um, shaking it out. Yeah, shaking yes. it out. That's right. Shaking it out. Exactly. So this beautiful invitation from Catherine Grateful to shake it out, to find the places that make us alive and use that as our you know gateway as our way into coming into a place of connection yeah. and remembering yeah yeah Catherine the grateful she's an ordained minister of movement and she lives in charleston south carolina where she has a living temple her home is this space you will hear so much more about it in our conversation but she is a light in this world and exudes divinity and we are just so we were so moved by the conversation that we just had with her and we hope that that it does the same thing for you without further ado yeah so excited enjoy <laughs> welcome you're in my altar right now I thought about interviewing you because when I met you, it was at the burn in 2017. And since then, your life has transformed in so many incredible and beautiful and inspiring and powerful. And I could go on and on with all the words that I admire you for. Um, and so I just like thought it would be nice to kind of go through your journey a little bit. I mean, when I met you, I didn't really know your husband at the time, but you went through such a massive shift after the burn and now have a living temple and are just like killing it. <laughs> so at least from my perspective. I'm so happy you're here with us. I have a beautiful relationship with Catherine and I couldn't be more excited to have her on the show today. Um, I'd love to start by asking you how to introduce yourself to our listeners the way that you like to be introduced to the world. Sure. Well, thank you. It's so awesome to be here with y'all. And um, my name is Catherine the Grateful. I was born Catherine Davis. And uh, when I first went to Burning Man, of course, we were, uh, you're given a Burning Man name. Um, and as I started to kind of imagine what I would, uh, and what, what my name might be that I might choose for myself, um, a story that my mom told me long ago when I was in the womb, she was with an astrologer who told her that she was <laughs> giving birth to a queen, a Catherine the Great. And so, um, as that's how she chose my name. She named me after Catherine the Great and, uh, when I went to Burning Man in 2017, I that that name came to me. I was like, I cannot be Catherine the Great. <laughs> and then I was like, Ah, I am I am deeply grateful. Um, I'd been through quite a journey that year, and actually, my mom had passed away, and I felt 
just this incredible sense of gratitude amidst the loss and the pain. I just felt so much gratitude. And so I was like, ah, I think I have transmuted the Catherine the Great into Catherine the Grateful. And uh, since that day, since that time, you know, I started using it as my Burning Man name. um, But it, to me, it's so much my name now. I, um, I don't really go by anything else. So uh, eventually when I have my, my P's and Q's in line, I will legally change it <laughs> to gather the grateful. Uh, but for now, that's just my, my preferred name. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Happy with my life. And to have you here. Um, mm. well, we're going to, we're going to go on a journey with you mm-hmm. and, we want to just like hear your story. And I mean, as far as when your story begins, it doesn't have to be when we met. It can be mm-hmm. any time that feels like the most pivotal moment in your life. And um, if you want to, I don't know, maybe I'll just let you take the lead here if that feels if that feels resonant with you. Cool. Yeah, I'm happy to share. I um you know, I <clears throat> it's Interesting. So I was born in 1977 on the Okmulgee Mounds, which are these ancient um, historic mounds of over 10,000 years old outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I grew up in Georgia and in North Carolina and um, really had a strong sense from a very early age about justice. Um, I remember as a kid just being like, why is everything so unfair? Like, why is there so much, why are some people hungry and other people have way too much? And what I just couldn't understand. And um, I, you know, I, I actually, I'll, I remember saying to my family, like my mom would say, Katie, that's what they called me as a kiddo. Katie, life is not fair. And I would look at her just shooting fire and say, I'm here to make it fair. <laughs> and she would laugh and say, good luck with that. <laughs> so I've had a big, um, big interest since I was a young kiddo in justice. I remember kids outside playing and I was um, I was coloring these tiger stickers that I turned into buttons that I drew save the rainforest and I would sell a button for a dollar each and when I got to fifty dollars I would buy an acre of the rainforest back in 87 you know like I was doing that when I was 11 and 12 and um, just really started working on my first political campaign when I was 13 years old uh, for Harvey Gantt who was up against Jesse Helms which who makes you know Donald Trump look um, you know, like a Democrat, you know, just really interesting. Um, always have been involved in in that sphere. And as I've gotten older and as I've uh, explored more of uh, the mysteries of source, truth and source wisdom, I kind of met and 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 befriended, a dragon inside me whose name is justice. And it's been very helpful (laughs) to name and work with this entity that is part of me. Um, It's not all of me, but it's a big, strong force in me. And I continue to dance with uh, my justice dragon every day of um, feeling a strong call 
to help the world be more fair for all, uh, for all creation. And so that's been a part of my journey from the very beginning. Um, I did take a little stop out for about 10 years there. I did a stint in Manhattan where I used my superpowers for marketing. Um, which was fascinating because I was raised by a, a, a dream psychologist, a Jungian psychologist and an artist. And so uh, they were total hippies. And uh, so the way for me to rebel was to, to, to go into corporate America. <laughs> so I did do that. And um, that was also very interesting. It was very empowering for me to learn how to make money, learn how to be successful in that way, uh, learn how to be part of the system. Um, and it was, I got to travel the world and, um, but I used my superpowers for things that I don't really support so much. I worked for big, um, wine and spirits brands. And, um, today I don't drink alcohol at all. So it's been, it's a big shift. Um, but you know, you have to go through those things, right? Those are our initiations, those places that, um, we grow and that we, we try to fit into and, and learn about. Um, and it was really wonderful to be in Manhattan in my twenties. I made some wonderful friends who I'm still very close with. Um, but then when I came back to the South, um, I really kind of repositioned and was just like, I really want to use all these tools that I've gained, uh, in industry for good. And so a dear friend of mine and I started a, a, a marketing firm called Danu Collaborative. Danu is a the Celtic goddess and also the force that turns the flower to the sun. Um, and we worked for open pollinated seed companies and we produced um, on a show called Growing a Greater World on PBS. Um, and we also created a feature length documentary film called Fully Awake. Uh, and that film was about a radical experiment in education called Black Mountain College. Um, that existed from 1933 to 1956. And this college, uh, which was outside of Asheville in a little place called Black Mountain, North Carolina, um, was a really important place because it um, had a form of education based on the Socrates method of like real exploration and inquiry. Teachers and students lived together on campus. They shared meals. They continued to learn and grow together through 24-7. Uh, and because of it, and also because a lot of the art teachers were seeking asylum from the Bauhaus in Germany, a lot of top artists were there from Europe. And it ended up bringing a lot of young artists from America that then became kind of the American avant-garde. So, um, you know, Buckminster Fuller was there. He did his first geodesic dome there. Merce Cunningham, the modern dancer, created his dance troupe there. The first multimedia happening with John Cage and um, just all these incredible artists, Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns was all there. Um, Albert Einstein was on the board of directors. Like it was just a really amazing, radical, um, thoughtful place. And so to make a feature film about that was incredibly uh, life-changing for me because I met a bunch of people in their 70s and 80s. These were the people that went to school there when they were 18 and 19 and 20 that had the courage to go to this experimental school. And by having that courage, they got to participate in uh, an education far beyond what most of us get. This school really was based in the arts, not to train you to be an artist, but because art 
artists know how to think critically. They see color and shape and lines in a way that we aren't always taught. And so, um, you know, making this film and meeting these 80-year-old badasses who are still making art and still living fully awake lives, that was really, for me, the turning point of, like, you don't have to you don't have to be in a nine to five. You don't have to live in the system. And indeed, your life will probably be richer and fuller if you don't. Um, that's really what I learned from making Fully Awake. And so that was when I kind of closed the door on my corporate chapter. And I feel like everyone seems to have a corporate chapter, close the door, turn in a different direction story. So uh, I don't always tell mine because it's just like uh, everyone seems to have that. Um, and it's beautiful though. There's a reason. Anyone who has that story is often super badass. So <laughs> it takes that. That's a critical. Well, it's also like about learning to be like, you know, when you learn to be a painter, you learn form and you learn how to do it in order to then go into abstraction. Right. So it's the same thing, I think, with um, with being part of the system and like working within it and understanding that lingo of business meetings and all those things like you can learn it and understand and then be like, oh, yeah. And by the time they take out all my taxes, I am making I am averaging six dollars an hour and yeah. I am working around the clock and I am consumed with stress and I don't have regular bowel movements. Like what's happening? <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. I didn't have that corporate thing in my life. And part of me wishes that I had to suffer through it because there is so much to be gained from that experience. And I'm like listening to you speak and I'm like, huh, wonder if I should go get a corporate job. And then I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. But you can just, uh, I will, anytime you want to go deeper into it, I'm happy to, to walk you through some, <laughs> some of it, but my, my favorite part of the corporate job was that it allowed me to become, to get my own wealth. And uh, I bought an apartment in Manhattan and um, I sold that apartment and got to buy the sanctuary that I'm living in now. And so for, for me, that was, that paid a, a very important um, cost of something that is really a big part of my my life now um, and our domestic temple here in Charleston now. So I'm very, very grateful um, for that. And to be honest with you, when I left corporate America, I left it to finish Fully Awake, the documentary film. And my biggest client, Bombay Sapphire, wrote me a check for $5,000 and bought me a MacBook Pro and said, we believe in you. We love you. Go get them. So like, you know, the the reality is the people working in corporations are wonderful and heart-led and heart-filled. It's, it's the system that is so messed up. And that is what we really need to keep um, it in mind, I think, when we're, when we're looking at how the world works and um, really like wanting to um, change things. It's like most people that I meet and spend time with one-on-one -on -one or in a group like are amazing, incredibly heartful, you know, people who are genuinely curious. Um, it's a system that is so flawed and we really, let's not demonize the people, let's demonize the system. I was just talking about that with Eleanor this morning, I, about this, this 
the scope of professionalism and how it separates us from one another because we put this this expectation on humans that are supposed to measure up to a certain caliber because they need to be professional within their scope of practice. And it separates us from their existence as a human being. And we we stop seeing people for the human beings that the that they are, and we just start seeing what we expect of them and set aside all of the other like subtle beauty that there is in this human being. And I was like talking about our exterminators and how I I I am guilty of this. Like the exterminators come and we need them to take care of the the mice and if they don't do a good job I'm like this is so unprofessional and how you know and then it's like yes there's there's a place for professionalism and there's also such a greater need for compassion in in all of this the system that you're you're talking the system that we all are are living in no matter like if you live in rural Vermont, like the three of us do, you're still a part of this. It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. It's, it's, we're inundated in the system and it's a big, it's a big movement to change it. And I, I am inspired listening to you share how you are a force in this world and how you're shifting things in one person. I think your story really inspires me in the sense that one person, you know, I think a lot of people feel like one person can't make a big difference. And you are a beaming example of one person that has made a massive change in the community that you are part of and in the world. And yeah, I just want to say that here. And I also thank you, sister. I see you. I see you. This, You know, the thing about it is Saturn. It's like my work is small, but mighty. And that is what I think we are all being called to do now. It's like, this isn't rocket science. This is us all collectively being asked to remember, to remember who we are. We are divine beings in human form. And anything less than that is a lie. And that is literally what we are being called to do, to remember it ourselves And then to also be the light that helps other people remember. And even if you help one person remember, that's enough. Two people, awesome. Ten, great. But like, it's not so often, I think, especially when I was the executive director of the nonprofit here in town, which I did for six years. And I learned so much in that place. But I also learned about like the nonprofit industrial complex of like, this is about quantity, not quality. And, you know, and it's just like when, when I had the dream to start a living temple, which is what I do now, it was, um, it was really, (laughs) well, first of all, creepy, because I had never um, heard of such a thing. And so um, it happened And I've always, you know, I've always kind of followed the system, even with, you know, the corporate and then the nonprofit. It was just like, I've always kind of followed the system. I've had a board of directors. I've had direct reports. I've done grant writing. I've, you know, proved it with the metrics and all the things, cross the T's and dot the I's and all the things. (laughs) And then there was a real shift in that when COVID started. Um, and we were all asked to stay inside. We were all asked to not go anywhere. And it was, and then my, my safe place, my safe 
um, like place of respite, which is called Mepkin Abbey. It's a Trappist monastery near Charleston, about 40 minutes away from here. And that's where I go to be in silence. That's where I go to really pray and go deep. They closed their doors. They closed and locked their gates because the monks are all elders and they were very, very worried about COVID. And I had a panic attack of like, where am I going to go to be still? Where am I going to go to slow down? Where am I going to go to pray? And a couple of nights later, I had this big dream. And the dream was your home is a temple and make your home a living temple. And I was like, whoa. And at the time I had about six people living here. We had uh, tiny houses in the backyard and somebody in an RV in the side yard. And it was really a community space. And I love those folks and they're still beautiful friends, but I got a really clear vision that it's like this space was meant to become a contemplative, quiet space. And so I let everyone know that we were going to go in a different direction. And interestingly, like they were already all starting to move in their own other directions as the synergies of life often will do. At that time, a friend of mine recommended a book to me called Immortality Key, which is one of the most important books I've ever read in my life. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend. It is about a journey to understand what they were using for sacrament um, before the Catholics came into power, when the Gnostics were really empowered. And um, during that time on this inquiry to find uh, what they were doing, they stumbled upon these domestic temples. And domestic temples were all over Greece and Italy of today. And they were led by women. And they were home temples, home churches, where people would come together and sit in sacred circle and share a simple meal and sing. And there would be the, the priestess would often be the medicine woman. And it was it went on for hundreds of years. And those priestesses were the core reason why when the Catholics came to power, they they made it illegal to have women priests because they didn't want it to be in people's homes. They couldn't charge money that way. So they, they changed everything. They made only men priests. They took the sacrament from being a slightly psychedelic in nature, uh, a mixture of like a barley wine mead, and it had a slightly psychedelic tint so that when you taste and see, you taste and see God yourself, uh, and they made it wine. So that it could not be something that where you could kind of sense source in your own way. And that's how it changed. But the book, The Immortality Key, really brought this into full um, scope for me. And that has been a really huge um, awareness because the dream that was so vivid, I didn't have a word for it. But through that book, I learned that it's called Domestic Temples. And um, the reason that we don't know, it's called the religion with no name because it was an oral religion passed from mother to child. And when the Catholics came to power, they rounded up about 4,500 women and their daughters and they imprisoned or murdered them. It was one of the first witch trials. And so that's why we don't know about this, but it's coming back into um, being. It's being called in. We're dreaming it collectively. It's it's a dream that we're all dreaming. And it's 
comes from the first part of receiving the dream is the most important thing we can do for ritual and for remembering, which is simply slowing down. That is the first part of anything that we do when we come together meaningfully in conversation or meaningfully to share ritual. We first have to slow down. We have to take a breath together. We have to connect with each other. We have to land with one another. And we as a society haven't really valued slowing down that much. Um, COVID forced us to slow down. And so there is this ability now for us to know that it's not going to kill us if we slow down. In fact, <laughs> it may just deepen us uh, to a wisdom that is our birthright. I would love to hear about how you transitioned from making this film into starting the temple. Well, the film was completed in 2007. So the film has been out for a while. Um, we did a remake of the film not too long ago, just to get in there and to play with some footage that didn't exist before. Um, so we actually have it as slightly remade with really cool footage, but we've actually never released it. <laughs> so if you want to see the link, I'll just send it to you. Um, so that happened a while ago, but what has been wonderful about the film is it screened all over the world. It screened at MoMA and the Guggenheim, and it was translated into multiple languages, and so we got to travel with it. So the film has remained and will remain until I die a part of my life because it is a part of who I am, like Black Mountain College and what happened at Black Mountain College is just part of who I am because it's, you know, when you work with a subject for as long, I worked on it for seven years. Wow. I met people all over the world. I went into archives. I went into original footage and, you know, I read all the books. So it's just like, it's in me. Like I am Black Mountain College. And um, it's a place that's really romanticized because everyone's like, I want to live in such a radical experiment where art is at the core. And, you know, and it's like, it doesn't exist now. It can't exist because it was a unique time and a unique space that that caliber of art teacher that existed there wouldn't normally be willing to live somewhere for free. They, they were escaping Hitler. You know, there was a reason that happened. Um, however, I have really found that I've, I've really intentionally created my life to be like Black Mountain College. And this temple is very similar to Black Mountain College in the sense that we celebrate creation. And so creation, meaning what is alive, but also what is being made, um, as especially from an artistic perspective, is at the heart of what our domestic temple is all about. So for example, right now we have an artist in residence here who is weaving these beautiful walls for this temple of sacred being that we'll be taking around the country starting next year. And so she's doing her weaving here and she lives here at the temple and um, she builds beautiful ritual altars. And so she has created this giant rose altar in our great room that is just beautiful and we keep it activated all day um, every day and it's just really phenomenal to have a working living artist in this space because to me that is where source is when we are in creation when we are making things that is god goddess source divine wow whatever you want to call that, that thing that gives us goosebumps um, with, with excitement and with curiosity, like 
that's why here at the temple, like we really take creation very seriously. I am an ordained minister of movement. So our sanctuary is called the Dance Sanctuary, and we do dance twice a week here at Divine Dance Party. You can Zoom in any time and join us um, Monday nights at 6 and Thursdays at 9, although I think that schedule is going to shift in the new year. Um, but yeah, I you know dancing is a big part of how I stay connected to source. And amidst the frustrations and the injustice, which makes me so livid, I dance so that I don't get consumed with rage because I could literally like be so rageful that I could not get out of the bed. Honestly, I'm so very frustrated, furious um, about what's happened in, in terms of where the injustice is in our community. And I'm so grateful for all the beauty in the world and all the magic and all the connection. There, it's a both and, and we're constantly dancing with them. Um, so for example, for me right now, like the, the revolution in Iran is so um, inspiring and heartbreaking and hopeful and, you know, it's, it galvanizes me to, to do more and be more and be courageous and uplift my sisters. And every time I dance, I dance with them in my heart. I feel them dancing in the street. I feel the, 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 the incredible courage it takes for them to dance. And I dance even harder and I connect to them spiritually and energetically. Um, and I, I pray for them and I weep for them. Um, but I also know that they are me and I am them. We are the same. So their freedom is directly tied to my freedom and justice for Iranians is directly tied to our justice for our children and for ourselves. We are all one, period. And my mentor is so amazing. I met with her this week and I'm so grateful to, to work in, with uh, several elders. And she says that our everyday work is to make the unconscious conscious. Um, and that is something that, that, I, that I lean into every day. Hey, so shameless ad time. I am super excited to tell you about a six-week online hypnotherapy and breathwork series that I am starting on January 31st. So I'm all about the subconscious mind. And so what we're going to do is we're going to tap into and get more out of all that we can do there. So I'm going to help you get familiar with shifting into alpha and theta brainwave states. And you're going to begin to build what I call your inner divine temple, the spaces within your mind that help you de-stress and focus and problem solve, raise your energy, feel confident, actually be confident. How many positive affirmations can I stick in this ad? What we're really going to do is open yourself up to so much in your subconscious mind, open yourself up to all the answers that are within you by helping you begin to build your inner divine temple. So check it out at www.dive-intuit.com. 
slash events. That's www.dive-intuit.com slash events. And sign on up for the Ready and Confident series, Building the Foundation of Your Inner Divine Temple. I am super excited to be your guide. Thanks for that reminder for the dance. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I, I was getting to, I was sharing when I first got here that I've been, that, that anger has been rising up in me in the past few days. And um, I'm also in a system, or I was heavily in a system um, a nur- as a nurse. And what to do with that that anger that like can be productive and move you forward. But like when you don't know where to go with it and it stays in your body, like it causes so much contraction and pain and that it's always like, Oh, you dance, you dance it out. And I, I needed that reminder. So thank you for that. Mm. I mean, I found dance when I was 35, I was always told I was too big to dance and I believe them. I believe them. And so I didn't dance. And then when I turned 35, I was at the gym and I saw this class and it looked way fun. And so I was like, I'm going to go into that. And it was a Nia class. And uh, Nia is a dance form that combines the martial arts, the healing arts and the dance arts. And I had no idea of this at the time. I just went in because it seemed so fun. And I had the most joyful, sweatiest workout of my life. And from that moment on, it, my life really changed. And I've studied Nia for many years now. And I'm a brown belt in that tradition now. And, um, you know, so many, and I've ne- I've also do a static dance and Koya and so many different modalities. I'm so, I was so blessed in New York to get to dance with Gabrielle Roth uh, before she transitioned and find rhythms. Um, and that dancing, like when people, um, when people, are, uh, when I'm feeling tight anywhere, like I will start shaking immediately. I'll be on the phone with someone and I'll just start shaking. And I, I always like to tell the story, uh, and Rochelle who started Koya tells this story beautifully of how, you know, if an, if a, if an antelope is being chased by a predator, like a lion, they're able to get away. You know, they don't go to 10 years of talk therapy. They go behind a bush where they're safe and they literally shake like a leaf from the top of their ear to the bottom of their hoof. They shake so hard until they literally do not remember the trauma anymore. And we hold so much trauma in our bodies. And so what I've really spent these last, you know, 10 years doing is, is shaking and dancing and roaring that out of me so that I can be a clear channel. Um, you know, one of the prayers we say at our church is like, let me be a PVC pipe to the divine, you know, let me be a chalice um, and let me get filled up and then pour it out and then fill up. There is an endless fountain that was not made by the hand of men. And that is what I'm constantly seeking. And dance is this incredible way. And it, for some people, it's singing. For some people, it's making love. For some people, it's a little bit of all of those things, you know, but those are really wonderful resources uh, for this embodiment, the embodiment of our sacredness. And our job is to get out of the way and to remember and to not get trapped in the system that is literally doing everything in its power to keep us from remembering 
that we are divine beings in human form and slow down, shake it out, dance it off. And when you see injustice, get involved. Don't stand on the sideline. Don't wait for someone else to do it. It is our responsibility so that if you don't do it, it's going to become your children's responsibility. Like it's ours. And I feel that very strongly. So, um, yeah, I'm dance saved my life and, uh, you know, I'm stronger and I'm healthier and I'm, you know, more beautiful. I say I'm reverse aging through dance. I went out last night there and folks are like, you look so good. I'm like, thank you. I'm dancing furiously. Hard times require furious dancing. I think Alice Walker said, and it's so true. Um, and I definitely feel like I'm, I'm becoming, I'm every time I dance, I, I just get a little more beautiful and I love beauty. I love beauty and I love deliciousness and I love pleasure. You know, I'm a huge pleasure activist uh, and I study a lot with Mary, uh, Adrienne Mary Brown and Sonia Raleigh Taylor. And um, just, there's so many really brilliant people um, talking about brilliant things. Adrienne Mary Brown says, in order to truly transform society, we must make justice the most pleasurable act we take. And I'm just like, yes, we should. I'm just like, we need to literally seduce those mullahs right out of that insane, you know, tyrannical point of view that they have. And I, I keep praying for the, to the wives and the children of those in power in Iran, that they go in courageously and say and speak their peace. I keep praying for the daughters of these mullahs who are living, many of them in America and in Toronto and in Canada and have access to the freedoms of the West that the women in Iran do not have. And I just keep thinking if you have the, you owe it to the world to be courageous and to look at your father and whatever way it takes, communicate and get into his head get into, you know, like this has to shift. And there, we do have the power. We do have the power. We cannot think it's outside of us. It is not outside of us. Exactly. We have to stop letting the wounded lead. And our masculine is so wounded. Yeah. yeah. And our masculine, all of it, you know, all of our masculine. Amen. Mm-hmm. When I think, yeah, think of you know, like listening to you speak, I think of all the limitations we put on ourselves, and hearing you share about how people told you you were too big to dance, and how healing that might be for just one person, even that's listening to this conversation, and how we can kind of step out of our own way and and get rid of the stories that we're telling ourselves and to speak to dance, just how you don't need training. You don't need the, the famous teacher or the um, perfect song. You can just move your body and dance and it doesn't have to look any specific way and how it can, you know, like it always brings me back to simplifying our rituals and just, Mm -hmm. kind of finding a space for that even if there's not a community around you that's dancing or if you know like you've had 
stories told to you your entire life telling you why you, you shouldn't be dancing or singing or you know, I can relate to that as far as singing goes because my whole life I was told that I had a terrible voice and my sister has a beautiful voice and she was the singer and I was the one that would not sing because I was picked on for it and as an adult it's now a practice and a step into empowerment and bravery to sing at the top of my voice because totally. Totally. It's empowering and it's freeing. So I just wanted to speak to, you know, that practice and that ritual and that space as something that can be you in your bathroom singing into your shampoo bottle mm -hmm. and shaking your butt, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. it can be so, so simply uh, beautiful. Well, and it's so empowering when we get out of how something looks, how we look, and really focus on how does it feel? How does that crazy wild jacket with that weird skirt and those boots make you feel? If you feel like a badass, then rock that outfit like there's no tomorrow. Like, it's about how it, you feel. And when we stop focusing on this very shallow point of view that we've all been indoctrinated in. And it's okay. It's part of this system that we're all collectively saying, no, thank you. Thank you. I understand where you're coming from. I disagree. I'm going to go another way. And, you know, that really translates also so much to ritual because, so when we started a living temple, it was really for, initially it was about having a space for restoration having a space that could be quiet, that could be contemplative, where we could gather in circle, whether where we could have altars created, um, and where we could also just have conversations about, about, about the mystery, about God, death, mother, father, goddess, uh, however you refer to it, right? So it started, and it was so weird, because it's not like I advertised it or anything. I was just like, it came in a dream, the name came, it was just there. And I had a friend, Sunshine, and she's on our board. We have a very informal board, as you can imagine. And um, she and I kind of started kind of building it together. She was the one person that stayed in her RV because she had a very spiritual point of view as well. And, um, you know, like, just we just listened. And then all of a sudden, I would get a call from a woman, and she would say, I feel so disconnected from God. Can I come over? And she would come over and we would just talk for three hours, you know, and um, or another woman called and said, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Can we can I sit with you and talk about this? And so she came over and we talked about it. And it's like, it's true. It's like so important. We talk about the power of prayer all the time. But do we really talk about prayer? Do we talk about, you know, deepening our breath, really connecting to source truth, the mother earth wisdom, as well as the cosmic wisdom. And then from that place, literally using our words, no words being wrong to be able to really speak to source from that like wisdom place. Like, do we, and then do we feel comfortable practicing it and saying it out loud and having it received and heard? You know, I remember the first time a spiritual sister of mine, her name is Elizabeth Hubner, and she's one of my co-partners on this temple of sacred being that we're building. Um, and we're part of a group called the hive collective on Instagram or the hive temple collective. And um, she's amazing. And she does such incredible work with divine mother healing. And I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth's work. 
And the first time I worked with her, she started singing. And it wasn't a song. It wasn't like a made-up song. It was just like... And it just went on and on. And I was like, what was that? And she's like, I just call it spirit song. I just let the I just let the vowels and syllables move through me like a serpent, just kind of moving in and through. And and I it connects me to source. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't even know how to start that. And she was like, just just in your altar, just start making sounds. So I started making sounds. And now I'm I use that sounding and that spirit song in my ceremonies and my rituals with ease. Um, same with, for example, my Native American flute. Like I, um, I just picked this up because I felt really, really attached to it. I, I, I got this out at Navajo Nation at the gathering of the healers. And I, um, I went and visited the place that it was created and I made offerings and I gave thanks and, it goes with me everywhere now. And I play the flute as a part of my prayers, but I'm not a flute player. I'm not a musician. I play to pray. Um, and it's, it's not perfect. It doesn't need to be perfect. Creator is not asking us for it to be perfect. Creator is simply asking us to do it, to do what our heart is called to do. And that might be oracle cards. That might be smudging daily that might be a, 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 a an actual mantra that you chant out loud that might be sitting in silence that might be you might have your most sacred profound moments when you're having a bowel movement you know like it's different for every person but like the courage to listen to when creator is calling to you when I first started walking this path I started being woken up every morning at 4 a.m and I was like what is going on and I would get so mad and I would lay in bed fuming and I would do a yoga nidra or whatever. And then one morning it was like, go to your altar. And I was like, go to my altar at four in the morning. Well, of course, between three and five in the morning is when the veils are the thinnest. And so I would get up and I would go to my altar and I would do between 10 and 30 minutes in my altar. And then I would go back to bed and I would have the most incredible lucid dream that would take me exactly where I needed to go. And I was like, holy crap. And so now I've learned that if I wake up at four and I don't come to my altar and pray, then I will lay awake in my bed for hours or I can get myself out of the bed and go and do my prayers because that's when creator wants me to be there. And then I get to go back to bed and I go straight to sleep and I have powerful dreams that guide me in the path of my life. And so it took me a while. I was stubborn because I didn't want to get out of the bed, still don't want to get out of the bed. It's like going to the gym or something. It's like, you know, it's good for you and you fight against it, but it's like you fight against it. You're going to lose creator is like that is your ride or die right like a creator's got your back and creator's going to get you out of the bed and then going to gift you with what you need the medicine that you need once you're there uh, but it is so much about ritual to me is about showing up and about the courage 
to speak honestly, you know, when we come together. So at the Living Temple now, we come together every Wednesday night for Sacred Circle and Simple Supper. And everything that we serve food and drink wise is exactly what I eat myself. So I will offer you a cup of tea, kombucha, coconut water, seltzer water, things that most churches don't offer you (laughs) because they're trying to save money. And the reality is in order to truly be here in a, in a sacred way, we must share what, what I want to put in my body is exactly what I should be offering you to put in your body. And it can't be out of alignment. And that's where it became very clear to me during this time when we were creating this, this temple in my home, that it had to be in my home because it can't, we can't have institutional churches anymore, institutional religion. It's not serving us. If churches could be closed during COVID, what does that say about church, right? Like, what does that say about religion? If it can just close down with a health issue, like, are we really that connected? It can just be locked and the lights stay off. Like that didn't resonate for me. That did not vibe. And I believe personally, based on what I'm seeing here at this domestic temple, that domestic temples are a really powerful way. And I think many of us have domestic temples that we live in now. We are a domestic temple. We are, our bodies are living temples. Our homes are living temples. And when we gather together in those homes and break bread together and form circles together and pray together, we are in a temple. And that's why we call ourselves a living temple, not the living temple, because everybody, like everybody can be a living temple. And we want that. We want that, you know, creator is about sovereignty and about your direct relationship with source. And that is why we come together in these temples is to simply together, we can get into a really potent, vibrant vibe, which is so awesome. And then we can take that energy and we can bring it into our own personal work. Yay. And it's all connected because we are connected. This is all about the weaving that we're doing, just like what y'all are doing with this podcast. You are weaving together the rituals of people's lives to, to share these stories, to empower us to practice, to remember and to practice. Thank you for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful that you are that you're modeling this 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 tuning in this listening um to um to this practice of knowing that that there isn't an expert out there um that we need to we don't need to be looking externally for for these answers um yet we're so conditioned to do that especially i would say through through um you know traditional education it's we're spoon feeding this this learning as if we're we're not going to um, naturally seek that and want that in any other ways um, that we wouldn't receive learning if it wasn't given and handed to us in this like very accepted package. Um, and so I'm just like so grateful that you're modeling this. And I'm very curious to know um, as you've been modeling this and you've opened up this temple and this beautiful space for people to come, what you're seeing is like, um, is a, the big resistance to, to this tuning in. 
You know, the biggest resistance is people's own minds and their own fears, honestly. Like, I, I don't, anyone that comes here, you know, every, I, 99% of the people who have come for a circle or come for a, you know, cacao ceremony and gong out under the oak trees or whatever, wherever we do here are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this could exist. This is amazing. I want to come here every week. This is, this is what I've been seeking. This is what I've been searching for. And then I never see them again. <laughs> and it's like, life gets really busy, right? And we have all these commitments and we're too tired, you know? And so we, we kind of get in our own ways um, about the very thing that will connect us to something that will really, truly be nourishing. So that to me is the biggest resistance. Um, I, I think, I think we are our own worst enemies. I know I am. I know I am the thing that is holding me back. I am, um, you know, my own behaviors, my own self-destructive patterns. They're still all there. You know, I might be a minister and be dancing a lot and be holding this sacred space and it's magical and beautiful. And I'm so grateful. And, <laughs> you know, I still face all of the very human challenges that we are all facing all the time. That's what all these great stories, that's what all these archetypal stories, the mythologies, they're all the superhero stories. Like we are all superheroes, right? And like, as I like look at Superman or Batman, like they go out and they do all this stuff to save the world. And then they come back into their caves. They come back into their sanctuaries. And that's what I think we are all being called to do is to live into our own superhero. And that can be a little bit challenging because there are so many ways to distract ourselves. There are so many ways. There are so many ways to binge Netflix and TikTok all day long and you know, and just like when you have these little downtimes or like, uh, I could make myself something really nourishing or I could grab this little thing and blah, blah, blah. you know, like there's just so many ways and, you know, and that's okay. We're human. You know, I love chocolate. I have a sugar tooth. I, you know, I'm working on dealing with addiction. I'm working on addressing the things that I um, that are vices that don't always serve my highest good. I have been able to let go of drinking alcohol. I don't take gluten anymore. Like I have been able to stop doing some of the things that really were like making my, my life more toxic than it needed to be. But I still have a journey to go on the other things. But I, I think we are, we are truly our own worst enemies in many ways. And we are our greatest cheerleaders and greatest, um, you know, people that can really see our potential and, and make it, make it so make it, you know, and I think the more we can get out of our, our, you know, shared space of consciousness and into that direct source wisdom of truth, which we all have access to, we all have it. And I, I do get a little bit tense. You know, a lot of times I hear people are like, say things like what a luxury it is that you have the time to go in um, you know, it, sometimes it's presented to me as privilege and it is a privilege to be alive and to be part of this. And I spent a huge amount of time. I spent six years as executive director of a nonprofit that served uh, primarily low income neighborhoods. And I saw enormous amounts of poverty and it very much was divided by the color line. And there is so much injustice 
It is no doubt to be true. And we all have a capability of at least, you know, checking in with our breath, of of shaking our asses. Like we do have a capability and I will not accept this. Like it's a place of privilege to be able to do this. It is important that we do not allow that narrative to be uh, what keeps us from doing this very important self and community work. Um, and that's just escapism, honestly. And it is selling us all short. It is a privilege to be alive. And some of us have much harder lots in life. And we've got to get to the root of the system that is creating that, not demonize one another for it. We need to demonize the system and we need to collectively go after that system and say, absolutely not. No more. We divest. Um, we will not and and find other ways, find other ways to participate and to be part of it. And it's going to require ingenuity and creativity and lots of dancing and lots of good food and um, lots of really open hearted curiosity about other people's stories and other people's life experiences and points of view. We have to remain curious and open and continue to learn and to inform our, our life view uh, in order to do this work with integrity. Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so you're speaking to just the many reasons why we, we may not go through that tuning in um, and listening process. And I'm just wondering uh, if there was some place that you would say people could start, what your recommendation would be to to people who are out there who are saying that it's, I don't have the time um, or, um, or I don't feel like I have the privilege. What, what would you say to that? Like, where would you say people might want to begin? Um, the place to begin is always the place that you feel alive. Where is it inside you that you feel awake, fully awake, fully alive? Where is that thing? Um, and a lot of us, you know, we knew exactly what it was when we were seven and then we lost it somewhere around our preteen years. Where, what was it that you wanted to be? Uh, what is it that you do where you're just like, yes, I don't, you lose track of time. Um, you know, Frederick Buechner, uh, who's a wonderful theologist, says, the place God calls us is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And finding that, no one can tell you what that is. No one. You have to discern it on your own. And that is um, being being fully awake and being fully alive. And it is hard. It's not easy per se. It's because it's gotten lost and, and it's maybe been abused out of us or um, started, laughed out of us, you know, and there's some trauma and wounding around that. So a lot of times with that trauma and wounding, I say presence it, breathe with it, shake it out scream it out, bark it out, like make noise, make sound, move it out and keep going, keep doing it until you really feel a sense of an opening and then find that place of deep gladness and the world's deep hunger and then move from there. 
Um, there's no there's no blanket answer for every person, but um, it does amount to having the courage to make the time to slow down, um, even if it's just five minutes a day or twenty minutes a day. You know, they they start to say that around meditation, and meditation is wonderful. It's not it's not necessarily for everyone. Um, you know, you could be shaking, you know, you could be twerking with your eyes closed and in meditation and find God there. <laughs> I have a friend actually who does twerk for God. So uh, I know it can be done. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, I think the, the most important thing is like even framing the question that way is it's, it can, it's a little bit, um, it, it starts us off maybe in a, a, a dangerous place of just like that it, that it that it has to be so foreign or so it's it's inside of you already. Your job is to excavate. Your job is to remember. That's what we're here to do. Remember, and that's what dear friends and sisters do. They remind us. They help us. They show mirrors. Get yourself around people who can be a mirror to your best self. Um, you know, and, and, and then that makes it easier in places like families or like at Thanksgiving meals where, you know, tough stuff comes up. Like how can we remain in our highest good in those spaces that could be triggering? Um, that's the work. That's, that's where, that's where rubber meets the road, right? Like that's where we really learn if the work that we're doing with ourselves and our altars and in our own rituals has actually really, uh, has real legs. Uh, it it will it will it has to kind of um, spill out into all the relationships in our lives, and so that's a great blessing when that happens. Well, um, I just want to say that I feel like this conversation has been a remembering in and of itself, and thank you for that, and thank you for sharing all of the gifts with us. I love you so much. I can't even like I just think about you, Saturn, and my my eyes tear up with just incredible pleasure. You are such an incredible being. And I can only imagine how awesome y'all are, Jesse and Eleanor. I'm so grateful to have the time to sit and I can't wait to come up and get to dance around with y'all in person, which is coming. I've been feeling very called to your part of the woods. So um, I will be up there and we will dance party and we'll take this even further because uh, any beloved of Saturn is a beloved of mine. So please know too, if you're ever down in South Carolina, please come and come see the temple, come stay here. It's a really special place. Oh, there's so much more I want to know and ask and scratching the surface. So, mm -hmm. um, but I did not want to interrupt because your light and wisdom were exactly the medicine we want to share and I needed to hear. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sister. I'll see you soon. We're driving down in February. So, well, and then I'll see you at the burn and we'll dance our butts off. Can't wait. I'm going to lick your face with joy. I can't wait. I'm going to lick you up. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. So many blessings. Thank you for doing this, y'all. This is awesome. Thank you. And love from my altar. I'm sending you all the juice from the altar. And uh, it's casting rainbows everywhere. So, so much love. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love you much. Thank you for this opportunity. Bye, y'all. Bye.
<gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> what just yeah. happened? That was such a remembering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the thing that I think was coming up for me um, right at the end there, especially was that she was talking about that. Um, she was saying that you can, you can be in meditation and twerking and find God there. Yes. <laughs> and um, just that reminder that it's that God source cosmos, whatever you want to call it, it's there all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's really just all that we have to do is just, remember that, that, mm -hmm. that it is there. And, and maybe it might take some peeling of the layers or uh, some unveiling to, to see it mm -hmm. there, um, or to, to take all of the barriers that we have been putting up, um, that is making it so that we're not recognizing or remembering that it's there. Um, it might take some of that, but it's still there all the time. And if we can just get to this place of, of trusting and knowing that mm -hmm. um, and consistently coming back to that, mm -hmm. that remembering. Yeah. And I feel like so much of it is also intention. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like through intention. I mean, that's what all of this is. Like we can't, we can't connect to source without the intention of connecting to source, you know, and, and that's what makes it irrelevant. What our practice is. It's like exactly. if you go into a, a a dance party with the intention of connecting to source or you go into a, a silent meditation or you go into a dinner party where you're going to come up with all of the triggers that you've dealt with your entire life. If you go into that with intention, mm -hmm. then you can be guided by source in everything that you do. Mm -hmm. And it's that prayer that Catherine said that I pray every single day. Let me be a channel, a clear channel, so that I may be a source for humanity and just a channel of communication and of giving. And, and in that, I heard, you know, what came up for me when she, when she spoke that prayer was, you know, for her to become a clear channel, she has to like shake it out. Mm -hmm. And there's so many ways to become a clear channel. For me, it's like, allow me to be a, or support me in becoming a clear channel. And for me, a lot of that times that shows up as, as food choices and as the intake of energy and, and media and, and people around me, it's like the energy that I surround myself with and the substance that I'm putting in my body are all going to clog up that channel channel or help provide me with that clear channel. And it's like, it's so big and there's so much potential and it always, for me, just comes back to intention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to have a very connected relationship with God where I, my parents said that I was like talking to God all the time and it was very natural and easy and um, mundane. Mm -hmm. And then I lost that because of my grandmother was like a fundamentalist Christian and like she did have a divine temple. She had a bed and breakfast and had people into her home and she would speak about God and like feed them like the best nourishing breakfast and mm -hmm. just take such good care of them. And, but her or, and her beliefs really pushed me away from religion because of the exclusivity of it mm -hmm. um and I just couldn't wrap my mind around that so 
not knowing that there were other that like that wasn't the only way to have a relationship with divine was believing all of these things and so coming to my own relationship with god and that's coming back like yeah i mean it, it makes me think of our children and and how they are in in a way in a lot of ways like god yeah mm-hmm. yeah children well, they're they're so, that channel yeah. they are they don't well I'm not going to speak for all children, but, but, but so many of them are, are just receiving and flowing and, um, and, and so much more in tune. They haven't built up those layers that we've built up or those messages or, um, yeah, expectations Mm -hmm. that, that we all have had. Yeah. I mean, this conversation has like, it's like steeped me. I feel like I'm like a bag of herbs. Mm -hmm. and I am just ready to step into fully the practices that I've been kind of like dipping my toes in. We thought in honor of having this conversation, I don't actually think, I don't know if we connected the dots, but I'm connecting the dots for us right now if we didn't already. Um, After having a conversation with Catherine the Grateful, we are having a uh, ritual around the word gratitude or a gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to share it with you all today. Yeah. yeah. Right. Really, it's just this wonderful invitation for us to take a moment and to really just think about all the wonderful things that we are grateful for. Um, So I think what I would love to invite everyone to do is just to take this little moment with us um, to kind of remember. Remember is such a big word from our conversation today, coming back into that remembering, um, remembering who we are, remembering our truth, remembering our connection to source. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it always starts with gratitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I guess that's not so fully true. You know, sometimes it starts with hardships, and sometimes it starts with struggle. Um, but the practice of coming back to gratitude is always one that can ground us and connect us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gratitude to me is a is of the same signature. It has the same vibration of source, just like love, mm-hmm. peace, gratitude is right there in that same vibration. And so tuning into that vibration feels like almost like a very easy backdoor um, to source anytime I, I need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's to drop into that grat- grateful place. Yeah. Yeah. And it also brings to mind just this, this, kind of tendency around words in our human vocabulary and how they can become cliche or um, like overused Mm -hmm. or wrung out, you know, there's so much, there's so much around the vocabulary that we use and gratitude and in, and a gratitude practice, I feel like is one of those things that, that people are like, Oh, the old gratitude practice. Yep. Oh yeah. Classic. (laughs) Oh yeah. Everyone knows about that. And it kind of devalues how powerful right how powerful it is yes it's like well have you actually done it because then you would know yeah it's it's not just the gratitude practice 
it's transformative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, my kiddos life. were having such a hard time yesterday afternoon and I was like, I started going around the room just being like, oh, I was, I loved how, um, Charlie, you just like got your snow stuff on this morning when you were in a bad mood and you just plowed out the door and then came back and you're like, good morning. And then I went to Henry and said something too. And it just changed the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing it and it was just, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll just take a moment here and, and I don't know, are you open to maybe some toning while we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tone open. Open. Beautiful. Yeah. And if you want to join in, we'll just use the word open for toning and, and, and we can almost imagine that we are open and receptive to all of the things that we are so grateful for and receiving them and, you know, letting our guard down to abundance and prosperity and, and through gratitude, really being able to live in that space. <sighs> we'll take a breath together, inhaling. And exhaling. And on the next exhale, we'll start with our open. work through and grow and shift and change and connect um, and feel um, all sorts of different emotions and learn how to trust in myself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful for I want to say just what's happening. I feel like this, this, you know, this awakening, this call that we're all, um, that we're all answering for the, the light bringers, the warriors, um, that are, that are doing the work that are holding the space, um, that are working, you know, to, to battle the injustices, but to ultimately call us back to source. I just envisioned Snoop Dogg (laughs) (laughs) and some speech. I don't know if you guys have seen his speech, but he does this speech where he's like, and I just want to thank myself for, you know, and he goes on and he's like, and then I want to thank me. <laughs> and all I can think of right now is my gratitude for myself and how every single day I wake up and I make the decision to show up and I make the decision to, to step into who I want to be in that day, regardless of the fear that comes up or the obstacles that come up or the 
judgments that I put on myself or that other people may place on me. And yeah, I just, I'm grateful for my own capacity to, to do this thing called life every freaking day, every day, every minute, every second, every connection, every day. And then there's a lot more that I'm grateful for, but right now I'm grateful for me. We're grateful for you too. Yeah. Thank you. I'm grateful for you both. Mm. Oh, it's always so grounding to just take that moment, a simple practice, a simple remembering, a simple ritual to drop in, to remember, to be present, and to connect.